Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 473. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsored thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com. The conversation I recorded recently with today's featured guest began much earlier this year. I learned so much from flower farmer Jamie Rogers, one half of Killing Frost Farm, while pulling together a segment of a lecture about flower farm diversification. And much of what Jamie and I discussed when I called him back in February was in some ways prophetic. At the time, we could not have predicted the COVID-19 pandemic and what it would mean to the floral marketplace for the rest of the year. Jamie and his partner, Carly Jenkins, founded Killing Frost Farm in Missoula, Montana in 2012. Carly shared some of their story when I first interviewed her for the Slow Flowers podcast, episode 296, aired in May of 2017. I'll be sure to share a link to that episode and to a subsequent appearance when she and I discussed the woodland-inspired lichen-and-moss gown she created for American Flowers Week 2018. Both of those episodes are in today's show notes for you to go back and listen to them. Here's a bit of their background, which originally appeared on their website a few years back. In 2012, Carly and Jamie bought a house on a single city lot in Missoula's West Side neighborhood. The soil was rocky, ant-infested, and barren. They tilled, weeded, and with a truckload of compost, began growing tomatoes, herbs, and flowers. In 2014, the house next door went on the market, and after a bit of financial finagling, the couple made an offer. With more soil to work, their gardening ambitions grew, and before long, taking care of their plants was not only tough on schedules, but hard on the wallet. A financially savvy friend recommended that Carly and Jamie find a way to form an LLC, sell some of what they grew, and treat those mounting gardening expenses as a business expense. By the fall of that year, they grew their first batch of microgreens. A week after the ground was frozen, they delivered some to a neighboring restaurant and Killing Frost Farm was born. When I first posted that introduction to Jamie and Carly back in 2017, I concluded a lot has happened since then, including forming established relationships with local chefs and growing other types of produce for them. Carly and Jamie also upped the number of flower beds and sold edible flowers before narrowing their focus to cut flowers for floral arrangements. At the time they wrote on their website, it has been a frightening, stress-inducing, humbling ride so far, but it's allowed us to quit our old jobs and spend our days working in the dirt together. Well, today's episode will catch you up on what Jamie and Carly have been doing in the past few years. They moved to Potomac, a town about a 30-minute drive east of Missoula, where Killing Frost now has two-plus acres for its cut flower production. As you'll hear in this conversation, the couple now focuses almost entirely on marketing flowers wholesale through their weekly market in Missoula, where florists can shop off the floor and pick up pre-orders. To grow, they began in earnest delivering flowers to customers, studio and retail florists, 
in other towns, in Butte, Bozeman, Helena, and often to other markets when supply allows. They just wrapped up the 2020 season, running a Montana-grown delivery program, marketing Killing Frost fresh flowers, as well as crops grown by a number of other farms. Spearheaded by Jamie, the program will not stop just because Dahlia season is over. As he discusses in our interview, there are plans to add dried flowers and holiday greenery to the product availability list moving forward through the end of the year. I think you'll pick up on the fact that Jamie is personable, committed to excellent customer service, and a whole lot of fun. As he shares, the Killing Frost model is based on one originated by Ralph Thurston and Jerry Ann Sabin, founders and former owners of Bindweed Flower Farm, which is in Blackfoot, Idaho, and good friends of Jamie and Carly's. Our conversation is an honest one, and I appreciate Jamie's transparency about the challenges of building a bucket truck route in a marketplace where customers have not had access to locally grown flowers for decades. As he told me earlier, we need them more than they need us. If you get that notion, Jamie said, you'll be rewarded because remember, they have just been buying flowers from someone else for nine months of the year before the local flower season begins. Okay, let's jump right into this fabulous conversation recorded a few weeks ago via Zoom. I'll share some photos and social media links in today's show notes for episode 473 so you can meet and follow Jamie Rogers and Carly Jenkins of Killing Frost Farm. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I have one of my favorite humans in the world on the podcast today. He's a lot of fun, Jamie Rogers, one half of Killing Frost Farm. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. You bet. And I'm serious. I'm. I'm just. You make me laugh. And whenever the rare times we're in, in together in person, absolutely. And we're doing this over Zoom, and I at least I get to look at you. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So just to tell people who Jamie Rogers is, uh, he is the partner and husband of Carly Jenkins of Killing Frost Farm, past guest of this podcast. So many of you may remember Carly, and she also designed one of the most amazing uh, wearable garments, botanical couture garments, the Woodland, aka Game of Thrones uh gown for American Flowers Week. And Carly also was a speaker at the 2019 Slow Flowers Summit. So we're not letting her on this podcast today. It's going to be the Jamie Rogers show. <laughs> Thanks for giving me a shot, Deborah. <laughs> oh, wait, but Jamie, but Jamie, you did model the floral bikini for American Flowers yeah. Week a couple years ago. Yeah, that was my uh, peak uh, social media celebrity, I think, was <laughs> Was the flower bikini, which was which was great. I hope we can. Uh, unfortunately, now Fourth of July is such a nightmare. We're so busy that it's hard to get it together to yeah. do a follow up. But one one year we'll do it. One year you'll surprise me. We'll get something. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, it's hard to not return to the bikini. Well, honestly, <laughs> there's so something. I, think I just need to give it long enough so that I can just wear another bikini or get another another uh, you know style in the collection. Uh, well, we have been chatting. Uh, I, I, leaned, I asked you for some input earlier this year when I was developing a talk pre-COVID about um, kind of beyond the farmer's market, different new and new or at least um, new ways people are tackling uh, diversification of channels. And you spent a lot of time with me just talking about how Killing Frost Farm has really dove into wholesale and now we've just talked recently and you've updated me on what the season's been like in spite of COVID. And I thought this is really important. We want to share this with people on the podcast, people who are growers who are trying to diversify and are trying to decide that, make that decision between retail and wholesale sales. So um, maybe you can start out by talking uh, about the first, like how you first started selling wholesale a couple years ago, what that looked like, and then where you're at now. And we'll just, um, I'll just poke in with questions as you go. Awesome. Yeah. So we, we started the farm in 2014 and it was, it looked very different then. It was, it was urban. We used backyards. There are lots of people in Missoula who are sick of their lawns and we're stoked to, to grow stuff. And so we, 
used a lot of backyards and these tight growing spaces and Carly sort of did flowers and I did wholesale vegetables. Um, but a huge part of Carly's growing flowers was her also designing with them. And as we sort of threw stuff at the wall and saw what stuck, the flowers were just really sticking and Carly's design was really sticking. I mean, she's just really, she's just really naturally talented. Um, and she is a extremely hard worker and just will figure it out. Um, so we did, and she's also, I mean, we both are good at this. I think <laughs> any, anyone in this world has to be, but she's also really good at faking it till you make it. And yeah. when it comes to the farmer florist thing, that is, that's just really important. I don't mean that in any negative kind of way. Like you just kind of have to walk one day, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. whether you're ready to or not. Right, and right. That's a good point. Carly, Carly is just, she's got guts when it comes to that. And, mm-hmm. um, that was a great way for us to really get the business going and, um, you know, being vertically integrated, becoming a studio florist, uh, is a, a scary and tricky thing. Um, uh, but it is nice when you're sort of vertically integrated and you're not buying product and not mm-hmm. having to learn a lot of tough lessons early on uh, about how to source product and, and you know, waste product and all that stuff. So um, we started with that. And I think as we started to grow more, uh, we eventually bought this piece of property outside of Missoula. And to be honest with you, um, I was planning on still running some kind of urban agriculture thing at that time. I, I just really do believe in that. Um, it's kind of a nightmare. So we had this uh, <laughs> and how far You're in Potomac and how far outside of Missoula is that? It's like 30 miles. Okay. So we're, so we're very, it's, it is us being that close to Missoula is very important. Yeah. Um, which we'll, well, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but anyway, we went through a year where we were like, had this business that just had like 10 different revenue streams and like, but also each one of them, whether it was doing wedding design or wholesale produce or <laughs> uh, wholesale cut flowers was, it was just either any one of those is like a, a monster business on its own, you know? Um, and also we're like three, two, three years into this thing, you know, with really no agriculture experience. So it was just, it was just crazy. And I think we cut out the produce uh, that made more sense. And we had one year where we were doing flowers um, and starting to really feel like wholesale flowers felt good. It just felt like the most efficient way for us to make money. But Carly was still doing design. And though she loves design and she loves creating, uh, as you know, um, it is it's just a ton of work when you are when you are communicating with brides. And uh, it's just a hard deal when you <laughs> your business is dealing with customers, all of whom are having the most important day of their life. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just a lot of pressure. And the psychic pressure is crazy. Yeah. It's just really intense. And, and you don't get paid for the 30 emails, you know? Um, And I think while Carly was really good at it, I don't think that the, that it it was taking more than it was giving us uh, at the end of the day. So we decided that we wanted, Carly decided, you know, we really, she doesn't need to do, she doesn't want to do weddings. She doesn't want to do design or rely on that as much. Um, Because the other thing about the design thing, and I know that there are probably, you talk to quite a few sort of farmer florist teams that are spouses. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the, the design part of it will fall on one of them more than the other. Yeah. And that is a bottleneck in the week where it's like, it just felt like we have this big wedding this weekend. I want to be helpful at the end of the day. Like I'm going to be taping vases and (laughs) you're going to be a farmer florist too. (laughs) I am, but it's like at the end of the day, it's still going to be on her. She's going to be telling me what to do. And it wasn't, it didn't feel fair to her or sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the wholesale thing just felt like, God, if we could, if we could figure out how to make it just selling wholesale flowers, um, that would be the dream that yeah. would really, you know, the goal was for us to farm and to farm together and to be 
all the all the cliches reasons people start farms or reasons we started a farm you know self-reliance and working together and being your own boss and um you know there's something really cool about making a living off the dirt absolutely uh, in your backyard you know and all that and it felt like wholesale was if we could figure out how to make enough money selling wholesale that is what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. and that was three, three seasons ago. Yes. And I did have a, a mini interview with Carly when I first saw her at the, in person at the Whidbey Flower Workshop in 2017. And I think that was the first partial year of wholesale where you were using a garage on property you owned in Missoula and like opening up the back door and, and letting a few floors come by. Is that sort of how it started? Yeah, that's how it started. And actually that is essentially how it still is. Um, and I hope, you know, that the rent for that garage is free. So I hope, (laughs) I hope it it continues. It's a fairly big garage. Um, but yeah, that is, that is where it still is and and how it started. Wow. Wow. And so uh, I guess we have to acknowledge that what is the population of Missoula? Like 50, 60,000? Yeah, I think proper. It's like that. And then, you know, sort of the the area that uses Missoula for grocery shopping and whatnot is probably closer to 100,000. Mm-hmm. Um, were there so, enough were there enough florists to sell to then with you know, if you to do just wholesale? No. No. I mean, you so we we realized that we needed um No, there's definitely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and the and it's kind of it's interesting. I mean, there are enough florists, but the thing is, as you know, we're in we're we're between four and a or four and five growing zone, okay. you know. So we have sixteen twenty weeks to to do this basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a good year, this year it was shorter because we had to frost the be- first week of September. Um, That's the so name of your business. Killing frost, frost. You don't you don't call <laughs> yeah. yourselves killing frost for no reason, right? Right. Oh, so, geez. so it just it quickly became apparent though if we want to if we just want to sell, sell wholesale, um, Missoula. You know we have we can only grow between Mother's Day and July. We there aren't that many things we can offer customers, and even if a customer runs a big retail flower shop and they're getting you know fifteen hundred dollars worth of product every week we couldn't support them unless they really just wanted delphinium and ranunculus at one time of year. Mm-hmm. And then dahlias and sunflowers at another time mm-hmm. of year. And then we just didn't have the space or the different, you know, uh, growing capabilities mm-hmm. to, to meet, to really, uh, matter to these customers, to, to really to, offer them something that would make a difference for yeah. them. And let's just say, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it correct that there is no, um, mainstream conventional wholesaler floral wholesaler in the state of montana um is that correct well the, no there is there there is oh okay um well so you mean based in the state of montana yeah no no there's not people are um, supp- people are serving the state from like washington oregon and california is that correct correct okay correct yes yep so we are the only on the ground uh wholesaler um I'm saying this, and God, it'd be so embarrassing if there's someone who I well, <laughs> don't know. But well, they better but tell I'm, us who they are. But that I've heard that from Florist, so I'm not quoting you necessarily. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I know, I don't know why I'm being. I know, yeah. I, I would know. And <laughs> and, and so the reason I brought that up, Jamie, is that uh, I was the when we've been talking, I I was very. I guess I had assumptions about Montana that are wrong, in that I thought I was surprised to see. How many brick and mortar, independently owned retail florists there are in the state? Because there's all the news is that they're like going bye bye, and then here in Montana it seems to be counter trend. And if that's the case, most of those shops had some kind of like drop ship arrangement with an out of state florist for their or a wholesaler for their for their product, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so break that down uh, for me. Well- or, or you know, like uh, Washington Flowers out of Seattle runs a truck over here. Skyline runs a truck over oh, here I see. now. Okay, um, but that's sometimes been intermittent. But yeah, I mean, generally speaking, most of our customers, um, some of whom have been in business forty years, 
it's been, if they ever got flowers in water, it's been, you know, since the eighties that that wow. happened maybe. Wow. And, um, or, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the nineties, but it's been a while since that this, a bucket truck came around. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, for most of them. So how did you go from saying, okay, we kind of think this works in, in Missoula, but we need to grow so we can support ourselves and diversify to Jamie getting behind the wheel and being the bucket truck? Because you, yeah. you've had other things going on in your life. You had to kind of put other things on pause in order to do this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of a funny conversation. Um, but yeah, we, I think what we, we decided, on, in terms of getting the bucket truck running, we saw, like you said, we saw that there was there are a bunch of florists in Missoula, uh, a bunch of retail florists, and then there's a, a handful of studio florists um, on top of that. But again, with with the volume we could grow with just Carly and I working, um, we knew that we would not be able uh, to offer enough product, uh, both in terms of volume of you know delphinium but then also just a wide array of useful mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. um at a good price for them uh to make it work they would just never come to rely on us they would never come undependent on us they would, they would always in some way be doing us like a favor almost mm-hmm. buying from us you know they're getting delphinium from us because we have it not but so does all the other places they buy flowers from you know they just didn't need us and um, we looked around the state and said, we just, the, if we want to sell wholesale flowers, we are going to have to go to other cities. Um, and if we're going to do that, we're going to have to have more flowers. And so then you come up, well, do we increase production? Um, or do we find another workaround? And Carly and I feel at this point, and I'm sure this will change it's someday, but we feel very strongly that paying uh, employees is just not in the cards for us, um, right now. Um, and we're pretty much at capacity for the two of us. So what we need to do is buy flowers from someone else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Carly had already, um, started to form relationships with, I mean, this is happening in the context of, you know, small local flower farms, um, kind of booming, popping up, you know, in large part because of you. Uh, <laughs> um, so all of a sudden there was like a community of, of new flower farmers who were also confronting these same issues. And uh, Carly uh, became good buddies with Kathy Sherba from Mighty Fine Farm. And Kathy said, well, you know, I, I think Kathy would continue to say this, that she would rather not get on the phone with all the customers every week. And she'd love it if she could pay someone else to do that. And we thought, well, shoot, this really, you know, we just added half an acre of production to our farm, to our offerings, basically. By bringing in um, product from Mighty Fine. Totally. Wow. Um, what do you guys have then, at Potomac? What's your acreage? Two acres. Okay. Sorry to mean to cut you off. Okay. No, no, no. Um, and then uh, Randy at Mill Creek and the Bitterroot approached us um, and he also was, you know, he loves growing flowers, but had... Uh, sort of mixed results selling them wholesale, but really wanted to sell them wholesale. So all of a sudden we realized that there was a need for this on the grower side. Um, and if we could offer a good service on the buyer side, then it could really, you know, be a rising tide raises all ships kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it really has been. And, but somebody has to be the Head of sales, so to speak. And yeah, you're, yeah. In, you're like the VP of sales and VP of distribution and probably a lot of other stuff, right? That is true. Yeah. It's, um, that is a new, in the last, last year, that job, uh, became a different thing. And then this year that job became really, really, uh, a different thing. Um, but yeah, I do all of the, the way we operate is each week um, on Wednesday, should I just sort of lay out the week? Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah. What do you have for breakfast when you get up in the morning? Breakfast today, (laughs) today I had some ramen. Um, uh, like college kids, (laughs) vegan college kids, basically. (laughs) No, but so our, this year to give you last year, I'll say, um, which is a quote normal year. Yeah. Uh, 
our market was on Tuesday morning in Missoula. And then all the growers bring their product to the market before the customers get there. Then there's, and the market's only open for two hours. The customers come to the market, they shop. And then I would pack up all the product on our van, bring it back to our place and then distribute to Butte, Bozeman and Helena the next day and Thursday. Um, Wait, say those cities again. Butte, Bozeman and Helena. Okay. And are they on one loop? Like kind of geographically or? Yeah, they're not. I mean, none of this is like super convenient. Everything's like two (laughs) hours away, right? Everything's like three hours away. No, no, everything. Yeah. Two hours, two hours is actually, that's, that is pretty accurate. Um, so yeah, we would do that loop. We used to go to great falls and then, you know, there's lots of logistics. We've been doing a lot of learning on the fly Mm -hmm. with sort of the logistics of distribution. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but so yeah, that was kind of the rhythm of our sales week is everybody brings stuff to the wholesale market on, on one day. And then we take all of the other farms products, other customers, the rest of the week. And Um, can I just interrupt you for a sec? Um, you had to bring everything back to your farm uh, obviously, because you're going to do it the next day, but also were you kind of um, reallocating like pre-orders and oh, yeah. uh, like there was a lot of like sorting that what happened then, right? That's all. So basically between our market on um, our market on, well, now it's on Monday, but between our Missoula market and when I leave on the van the next morning, that is all that happens is, is processing orders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what, what are you driving for your van? We have a 2011 Sprite, Sprite, Freightliner Sprinter van. Okay. Um, and it is just, we call it dream boat. Um, and it really, I mean, is just the best investment uh, we have ever made wow. in the farm. And it's do, just great. Is it, I, I am showing my ignorance because I know a lot of people have sprinter vans. I hear that term yeah. a lot. Is there a cool, is there a cooling system on it or are you jacking up the AC or? Yeah, I jack up the AC and that's, you know, we, we load the van at like four o'clock in the morning and the buckets of water are 37 degrees. Yeah. Everything's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. There are, there are times early in the season and late in the season, I try to do that um, Butte, Bozeman, Helena loop in one day. When it gets, you know, 90, 95 degrees, there are days where I have to split them up because Mm. the last city we visit, it does get, the product will start Mm -hmm. to suffer, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do just split up those days when it's super hot. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is something others encounter as well, um, especially in the hottest parts of the year. Yep. Yep. No, but I think, you know, if you have a, a walk-in cooler that you're keeping at a good temp, um, it's nice having a couple gallons of cold water in each bucket. Oh yeah. Know, oh, I see. Cause you're pulling difference. stuff out of a cooler at four in the morning to load the van. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's cold <laughs> so, the van for the first couple hours. So when we spoke, uh, back in February, when I was trying to get a little Intel for this presentation, I feel, I feel like at some point you told me that at some point you added a second day and a second, uh, geographic route is that did that happen in in 19 and 20 or just 19 that the the actually the second there was just this year and that was a that was a sort of covid response okay um we had messed around with with separate days like i said we went up to great falls for a year and we've, we've tried separate days but this year the plan when you know everything was happening this spring Um, and it was just, the season was so uncertain because, um, I mean, we sell to a lot of retail florists who were deemed essential businesses, um, here. Uh, but we also, you know, are very tied to the wedding industry in Montana. Um, and all of the event florists were, I mean, they were totally in a state of not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. So we saw that and that, you know, it could, I was thinking it could be 60, 70% of our business would be gone. Um, and then when you factor in, uh, the idea that we're, you know, we have other flower farms who rely on us to move product. It really felt like we do have to figure out a plan, um, here. So we decided we knew that the retail, at least some of the retail florists, brick and mortar florists would be, uh, open. Um, and we were already selling to everyone we could on our route. So we said we had to go, we had to go to a different part of Montana. So Mm. we, we, 
we're fortunate that uh, we're not far from Flathead Lake and all the towns around Flathead Lake. Um, So we started a route up there uh, this year also. So at the minimum, you're on the road two days a week during the season and sometimes three. Yes. Yeah, it's about... 20 to 25 hours in the van, um, which Jeez, Jamie. is crazy. Well, I, and you don't have like a dog that you take with you or anything, do you? I do have a dog. Oh, good. I All take right. Poppy, Poppy the dog comes with me. Um, and she's very happy to do nothing but sit there all day. But kind of just keep, keep you company. <laughs> you know, I used to not take her. And honestly, I would get on a hot day in particular where you're, you know, you've got eight stops in Bozeman and there's like construction and I would just get stressed. Um, and it didn't feel good. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, uh, Poppy, uh, was a nice service animal to have, uh, <laughs> other, I other hear than the summer. It <laughs> was good. It, well, it was really good. I just have to say how delight, delight, delighted I have been in the past where every now and then I'll just get a random voicemail from you and you're like, Hey Deborah, it's Jamie. I I'm on the road. I'm listening to the podcast. Thank you. And then you'll, you're like, don't call me back. No problem. I just want to say hi. It is so delightful that you do that and uh, makes me well, just smile. <laughs> I'm glad because the, at least having the option to do that is the only thing that makes me, lets me survive those hours in the van. It's, it could be, it could get, pretty tedious so <laughs> i think you need your own instagram tv channel where you can be like jamie on the road where's jamie today you know it's uh, that's just one more thing you'd have to do but if you had a crew they could follow you around well i have to say deborah also though like listening to slow flowers i think this year in particular i mean we owe any all of the farmers we know and respect and who have taught us like we have met in some way through you um And then, you know, this year when it was just so, it was so stressful for everybody. It was so, I mean, the uncertainty, the toxicity, there's so many reasons to feel crummy this year. Um, It was really nice to listen to Slow Flowers and, you know, just knowing there are other people going through it was nice. I mean, it just was, I know that's not great, but it just made you feel like you were a part of something, yeah, you know, because yeah. farming can be so, it can just be so isolating when you're in it in the yeah. season. Um, yeah. so anyway, thank well, you for, for the service you provide us. <laughs> well, thank you. That's cool. Um, I do have to say though, one of the, I think the secret sauce of killing frost farm is your personality and your ability to, <clears throat> you know, cold call strangers and, and convince them that your flowers, they must want your flowers. And, um, so when you're on these routes, you're seeing people at every drop off and, you know, probably developing some rapport with your, you know, your, your fan customers, but, but how, I I don't know, we've talked about this before where, where, you know, we've, we, we both have heard people say, how do you get a customer? And, you've, you've just kind of simplified it to me and said, it's, it's all about just making the phone call. And, um, how did you first get started? Did people know about killing frost and approach you or in probably yes, in some cases, but in a lot of cases you had to just put yourself out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really started with produce and mm. what, you know, wanting to sell whole, uh, wholesale produce. Mm-hmm. And having friends who worked in kitchens and just them being like, Hey dude, you just got to come in and you know, my boss will be there on Tuesday. Um, and that kind of got me comfortable. And what it really got me comfortable was, I don't know. It's a hard thing because I know saying people to people, it's as simple as cold calling and you just got to like beat the pavement for some people, like some people's brains are just going to say, no, I just, I cannot do it. Um, and they're the people who, they're the people who are coming to you and saying, Hey, would you sell my flowers? So there, there's a skill set that is acknowledged that some people just don't want to push it. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, I think that, um, yeah, on one hand it is, it is about beating the pavement. On the other hand, it is maybe about finding someone who wants to beat the pavement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, but, but for whatever, you know, kind of perfect, perfect set of skills. It works for you. And yet it's not like people 
immediately write you big checks. I mean, it takes work. No. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, I think the thing that is most important, it's like, I, I think that our whole customer service strategy, at least in terms of how I conceptualize it comes from, I used to be a fly fishing guide and like farming, uh, being a fishing guide is like, well, you can know everything, but still it might hail or there might be a forest fire or it might be 110 degrees and the fishing's going to suck. And guess what? That customer paid the same as the customer who came on a day when you caught 60 fish. Um, so you sort of start to realize that. And if you're someone like me who hates to disappoint people mm-hmm. and is very stressed out by the idea of it, uh, you realize that, well, shit, if there's this whole part of my business that I, at the end of the day, can't control and maybe don't even understand that much, <laughs> i.e. nature, right? Uh, then the stuff that I can control, I better be super good at it. And, and that's the thing with customer service that I quickly realized, like when I started growing microgreens for um, restaurants, was the f- first microgreens I bought to customers sucked and they told me. And it was hard. And Carly has similar stories when she first brought uh, flowers to florists. You know, there were lots of hard lessons that you just learn mm-hmm. in front of a customer. Mm-hmm. But what we realized is that if you come back and it's better and you come back the next week and it's better and you get it to their standard and you just keep showing up and you you keep delivering on what you say you're going to deliver, um, pretty quickly any reasonable customer is going to learn to appreciate that. So if you can just really pay attention to the things that you can control and make sure that you're doing the best job possible on that front, I feel like um, everything else will will kind of fall into place. Mm. Uh, I had some takeaways from in my notes from um, when we spoke earlier this year, and some of them were along the lines of what you just described, but I thought that one of the most interesting ones was sell to the florist the way he or she wants to be sold to. And it's not one size fits all. And you have to adapt your, what are your communications or your, you know, you know, I guess, order taking to fit what they, where they want to show up. Is that paraphrased correctly? That's, that's exactly right. I mean, so like our first year, we just said, okay, we're going to send out this fresh sheet every week, you know, and it's, and how great we just have to send one email and everyone gets it. And then the orders just come in. Right. And what we quickly realized is is like, yeah, there are some customers who that's going to work for, but actually most of our customers don't really order flowers on email Mm. at all, period. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are checking their email to see if that, you know, pissed off bride has gotten back to them, not, to, to see, see what, you what have. local flowers they can buy next week, right. you know? Um, especially when, again, we, to that point, had not been offering a meaningful uh, supply to them. They were, you know, filling in gaps and stuff, but it wasn't like they were relying on our product to, to sail their ship every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we just, you know, we weren't getting responses to the emails and I'd show up at the shop and they say, well, I didn't get your email or, oh yeah, sorry. I didn't, and you're just like, and I realized, I just started asking like, what do I need to, like, how, how would this work for you? And and someone were just like, well, could you call me on Friday? And I think initially I thought, what, really? Like, you can't meet me halfway on this, <laughs> but it was a really good lesson to learn because I realized like I've, I said here, and I know we've talked about before, our customers in Montana just don't, they just don't need us. They don't need local flowers. I think local flowers are cool. I think it is disrupting a pretty effed up supply chain. Uh, I really believe in it. It's great. But at the end of the day, they're not marketing local flowers. So there's no onus on them to source stuff this way. Mm. It's mm-hmm. not like there's a huge movement in Mon- the Montana floral community like there is in maybe the food community mm-hmm. of of local, mm-hmm. you know. Interesting. So we're not solving we're not solving our business model is not solving any problem. And if anybody watched Shark Tank, you know, your business should solve a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you could solve the problem of just getting them to communicate with you. At least you could do that when you said like, why can't they meet you halfway? You're like, well, maybe not. Maybe I have to go 
90 percent i need to call yep maybe i need to call them maybe i need to make maybe i need to make sample orders just like make a mock-up order text it to them and say hey this is what i can bring you does this look good to you would you like to change you know and there were customers who just sort of fell into a thing like that and on one hand it can feel yeah i i can like act like oh this is like this isn't what i want to be doing with my week um on the other hand I mean, it is providing a service for, it actually is making them maybe realize that there was a problem that they had (laughs) and, you know, and, and maybe we are helping them solve that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, bottom line is we had to, we just had to, uh, sort of customize our approach for each customer. Um, and ultimately like even though it is it's a ton of work it can feel like a lot to keep in your head these different modes of communication with all these different people at the end of the day though like it leads to such a satisfying business relationship in terms of like them being stoked about the product us being stoked about selling the product where it's just it's now i look at it it's just such a no-brainer i can't imagine why anybody would resist uh having to text or call I mean, that is truly white glove service. You know, if you're going to look at like a definition of a concierge or something at a, uh, you know, that's, that's not what you would normally associate with selling wholesale cut flowers. So it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I think you're right. But then the other hand, like I'm in shops all the time when a wholesaler calls, you know, I mean, the difference is that wholesaler, the big wholesalers have a dude who does nothing but that. Right. I mean, that's he's not also farming and also, you know, creating yeah, the delivery. Totally. Yeah. So like they, there's yet another edge they have is someone who's a full-time committed salesperson. Even if that person has 20 more accounts than I'm ever going to have mm-hmm. to deal with. Yeah. That's a it's good point. Still, you can make a, you can make a lot of phone calls in eight hours, yeah. you know? Um, so I, well, you mentioned earlier the, um, you know, the fact that, you know, maybe for decades, some of these customers have not um, received flowers in water. And it's interesting to me that, um, and, uh, okay, hold that thought. And then they also don't think they, it's, they need local flowers. But then all of a sudden, over time, do you find that they're getting a better quality product? And so they're starting to associate fresh local flowers with something that's good for their brand and maybe it's because it's a local farmer and not just Jamie showing up. I don't know. Yes, I'm, not asking, I, I'm not asking that correctly, but like, are, yeah, is the needle I mean, moving? Yes. I think it definitely, definitely is. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing is that customers are realizing that they are not throwing product away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is where they see, oh, wow, this thing maybe is 50 cents, a dollar more expensive per bunch. But I'm, I, you know, I threw 25% of the product I got my last shipment right in the garbage. Um, and I'm just not, there's no waste on the stuff you're bringing. So that's a huge thing. They generally are going to last longer and customers really appreciate that. And in certain markets we sell to, I think customers are able to, say to their retail customers, we have local Montana flowers and that makes a difference for them. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. Um, it's, it, and it's cool. It's cool to sort of like be on that journey with them because then like talking about the rising tide raises all ships thing, it's like, wow, it's like our product is helping you change your customer base, increase your customer base, appeal to more types of customers. Um, and we're selling more product because of that. It's just such a cool, and yeah. it's all local. It's just a really cool deal. I have two other questions I want to ask before I let them slip out of my head. One is you've collected all the pre-orders and you load the truck and you're ready to go. And if there's room on the truck, are you putting, I guess, spec product on and and trying to get the florist to b- bump up that order when, sh- when he or she sees what's in the truck? Yes, that's huge. Okay. That's like so important because despite all of my best efforts to get pre-orders, it still does. I still like chase customers down. Um, And at the end of the day, you just, you have to have stuff for them to buy on the van also. I mean, we, we have found that and maybe someday 
I mean, the dream would be for everything to be sold in the morning, right? Like that is the goal. If everything is sold before we leave, that's nothing could be better. That'd be awesome. Um, But yeah, no, it is still very, very important for us to have stuff for on spec shopping. And also that brings up a thing I would like to point out to everybody that this model that we, this is a straight ripoff of Ralph Thurston and Jerry Ann Saban, yeah. Saban, I yeah. know it's her last name. Uh, from formerly Bindweed, now Deadhead. I mean, they. this is what they did in Blackfoot, Idaho, going to Sun Valley and Jackson Hole. Um, and we saw that and it. they just, I don't know. I just, before it slips out of my brain, I just wanted to make sure everyone knows if you want to go deeper on this, Ralph Thurston's books are an excellent place uh, to start. I am so glad you brought that up. And I, they've been on the podcast twice and they... Um, have mentored so many other farmers and are so generous with their knowledge. They're, and, they're so cool. Yeah. They're so generous. They're so knowledgeable. Um, and they just really did it. I mean, they, they built a beautiful, profitable business um, that I, I think is, I think it's as good as you can do yeah. really in, yeah. in this world. And now um, Allie and Lauren Harrison um, who bought Bindweed are, following much of that model and servicing those former Ralph and Jerry Ann clients. So, um, so that's really inspiring to see. So Uh, cool. um, Okay. So at the end of the day on a route, are you coming home with just a couple buckets of stuff and like you've been able to move a lot of product with that? Oh yeah. I mean, we, we have never deadheaded. I mean, I love watching the dog tail in the in the front of your you know the camera. Is? It's it's not a dog tail. It's a it's a fly. Oh. <laughs> I guess on that the zoom lens. On my phone. <laughs> That's gross. Disregard. <laughs> um, uh, uh, what were we just? Oh, what were about, we about about the um, product. Whether whether you have product left on the van when? Oh you come yeah, out. we. You know, I actually this is another sort of uh, deadheadism. Um, uh, meaning Ralph and Jerry Ann. Um, but we, you know, if you are selling every bunch for, for us being wholesale growers, if we are selling every bunch on any kind of regular basis, we don't have enough product because we have to be ready. You know, if every customer, if our average ticket is, you know, whatever, 250 to $350 a week, but then there's, three tickets that are over $800. Like we need to be ready for that event where someone wants $1,500 worth of product, you know? And if you're selling out on a regular basis, you just inherently don't have enough to meet those big weeks that are the thing. Those are the weeks that make the summer for us, you know, are those weeks in July and August where the huge wedding. Yeah. Um, so no, we, I mean, we compost a lot and we, uh, feed our sheep a lot and uh we also dry a lot of flowers that's true that's true so you're, yeah you've got a purpose for it um, yes one other thing i wanted to ask you about and we just talked about this recently where you you mentioned earlier that you think your you know your presence in the marketplace is helping to raise awareness about local and you recently can you talk about the mother's day thing you did with bitterroot where you did a montana mother's day um montana grown because that that's a good model to point to. Yeah. And it really was, I got to say, like it, it was really, um, Lindsay Irwin and and the whole team at Bitterroot Flower Shop seeing what was happening and, you know, their supply chains for Mother's Day, like everybody else were all messed up. Um, and I was talking to Lindsay and it was like, she was like, I just really want to do like a made in Montana Mother's Day where I just, you know, whenever possible, if we can get into Montana, you know, despite maybe the margins not being perfect for us, we're going to sell it for Mother's Day. Okay. And it was a, it was a ton of work. It was a ton of scrambling. You know, there aren't people in Montana that are doing a ton, like huge commercial Mother's Day harvest. Especially um, that early in the season, right? Yeah. It's just really pushing it for Montana. Um, and but we, I mean, I think I found like 
maybe like 8,000 stems of tulips from around the state, different growers and a bunch of bedding plants and, and daffodils. And she, you know, uh, hooked up with all these other Missoula businesses and got gift certificates going. And they did just, a, I think, a really, really awesome uh, job supporting local um, growers and vendors for Mother's Day. But the thing about them is I have to say that they just, they can, they ha- they carry that torch through the whole season and never let up on their supporting of uh, uh, local farmers and vendors. And it's been awesome. And, you know, one thing about Montana, I think in general, and this might be true everywhere, but, but it, if people can support someone local or, you know, from the state at least, and it's not going to like put them out of business, they really want to, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. they really do want to keep it in the state Mm -hmm. if they can. And they just need to be offered that opportunity. Yeah. It just needs to, and that's the thing that's like really hard. And it's something I know we've talked about is, is, it's so easy when you start as a flower farm, it makes a ton of sense to sell into the event market because, you know, you're going to have a lot of things one week and maybe not a lot of things other weeks. And it's just easier to, to satisfy a customer that is not, that doesn't need stuff like the same stuff every week. They're not hungry every week. week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just like, you know, there's this big event coming up for them and, and you can knock it out of the park for them. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one thing that can be kind of hard, but like their, their markups are different. Their overhead is vastly different. Um, and we did have to figure out like, how are we going to serve the bitterroot flower shops of the world? Because, you know, they might, they're used to getting tulips that are 35, 40, 45 cents a stem versus, you know, if you go to a farmer's market, like most local tulips are going to be like a dollar, dollar fifty a stem. Mm-hmm. It's just not even really close yeah. to what they're used to. Um, so we did, you know, take a while to sort of figure out how do we serve, how do we get all these retail customers, the brick and mortar customers, how do we, how do we fit into their business model? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, this is a, um, a narrative that continues to evolve because of COVID and your the maturity of your business. So I'm I'm hopeful that you're already you you said you've had your first frost. So are you kind of getting your head around all the winter projects that you need to do to get ready for 2021? Or yeah, I mean we are. So we're going to be offering. We have some holiday offerings. We're going to oh. be doing drives and. Um, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, holiday greens and wreath frames, awesome. which is super exciting. Is this um, the so first gonna year you're going to do that? Yeah. We've talked about it for a few years, but it's always this early frost, I think is going to be the gift where we finally wrap our head around that. And then, yeah, the early frost has allowed us, you know, the year we are so fortunate. I got to also shout out <laughs> to the state of Montana, the business stability grant, which we got in the beginning of the year. Um, made a huge difference for us being able, you know, one thing that happened this year is we added all these new accounts and we were just barely able to sort of, by the end of the season, when things had kind of opened up again, we were on the edge of not having enough product to Mm. service all Mm. of those accounts that Mm -hmm. we added at the beginning of the season. Um, And I feel like the business stability grant that we got, and I know a couple other farmers got, are going to allow us to implement things, get enough material uh, for the following season for meeting that larger customer pool that we have now. Because you have um, to, like, so, yeah. you're, you have to grow your capacity. In other words, yeah, we got to. We everybody's got to grow more stuff, and we got to be uh, better about it. And we need a bigger walk-in cooler. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How big is your cooler that you have now? Uh, Twelve by eight. Okay. Wow. So we're you need another one it. that exact same size, then, huh? We're, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know what, Jamie, I'm just sitting here thinking about how I was visiting you and Carly about a year ago, um, because I feel like we walked in your fields and there had been just a little bit of frost damage. It might've been at the end of September, but I'm having fond memories of that, of that visit. And, uh, hopefully I can get myself back out there. Snow? Was it snowing? Yes. There was snow. A little bit up in Potomac. Yes, there was. Yeah. Yeah, I remember crazy. that. That is crazy. I know it, it, that happened, you know, almost three weeks earlier this year. Goodness. Which is nuts, which wow. was totally fine. Um, 
except for dahlias. It really was sad. We were right about to be in the real thick of our dahlias. And Carly, I think in particular, was sad to see that happen. Oh, I'm sad just hearing about it. Could you harvest some and hold them in the cooler? Or I know they don't hold really well, but, or was it just yeah, like... We- we we did some of that. I mean, one thing that's hard is we don't, I would rather shut down like a whole route and then just pick up and have like enough stuff to really have a good offering mm-hmm. than like be mostly telling people, no, we don't have that, but I can show bring up. you orange dahlias. Show up three fancy. stems. <laughs> yeah. Do you, if you need Cornell bronze dahlias, that that's great. Uh, so, um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of, it's, it's okay, I guess. Well, I really appreciate your honesty and transparency and just, just describing some of the, you know, growing pains that, you know, you've had to endure to get to the other side of feeling confident about your model. And, um, I just know it's it's only going to improve if we can get past this pandemic and past this election and you know, like maybe come out on the other side with some some sustainable optimism. Yeah, that sounds great, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. I think I'll just no, end the right there <laughs> and say please vote. <laughs> please vote everybody. Don't mess around. The choice is easy. Don't overthink this one. She's Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Jamie, and I love Carly. Oh, this has been fun. We love you so much. This is so fun. Thank you. Thank you for giving us uh, a community to be a part of, especially now that we're all stuck in our effing houses all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I need some more photos to share in our show notes, so I will email you to see what we can. I, I, I took some when I visited you, but it was kind of end of season, so probably not ready for prime time but um oh well good there's there's about you know a quarter mile of visibility because of the smoke and every all the plants are dead so i'll get you some really good no pictures. you have we'll, we'll get <laughs> disregard we'll we'll uh send me a few things but yeah yes definitely be, i will be safe and um this has been wonderful thank you so much jamie yeah thank you deborah we'll talk to you soon you bet bye Thank you so much for joining me today. At the end of our interview, I had a big grin on my face. Jamie has a way of lifting my spirits. I hope you pick up on his enthusiasm and passion for getting more Montana-grown flowers into the hands of the state's florists on a regular basis. As he told me about his sales and customer service strategy, we have to make it as convenient for them as possible to buy from us. We are really lucky that they want to buy our flowers. Our next sponsor thanks goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Before I close, I want to highlight a couple of items and ask you to keep an eye out for our October happenings. Our newsletter launches this week, as does our 2021 member survey. I hope you take a moment to click on the survey if it lands in your inbox. We are eager to glean insights and input from you to help shape the coming year's themes and programs. To sweeten the deal and thank you for your investment of valuable time, we'll send a special gift to everyone who completes the survey. And all respondents who complete the survey and share their contact information with us will be entered into a drawing for one full registration to the 2021 Slow Flowers Summit, valued at $599. I'm excited to share this perk, and you can find all the details in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com to get involved in answering our survey. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 645,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. 
Our final sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.